0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, March 8, 2016. I'm Caleb Brown. When New Mexico eliminated civil asset forfeiture, it happened quickly and without much argument. Hal Stratton, former Attorney General of New Mexico and former head of the Consumer Product Safety Commission, says the message of forfeiture opponents was simple. Civil asset forfeiture is wrong. We spoke this weekend.
1: My experience is unique, actually, because uh, when I was a legislator back in the 1980s, I had a friend... Who was a legislator who went to the Reagan Justice Department and became the director of the asset forfeiture programs there? And things were just starting at that time. I think the Feds passed uh, equitable sharing in 1984, and so he was on board on that. And the administration called me up, said, "Hey, we got to do this. This will be a good thing for New Mexico and the state, and uh, it's a good way to get some money into law enforcement. Uh, will you uh, help get this through the legislature?" We had to make some changes and. Uh, Sitting here, I'd have to tell you, I don't remember what they were. It's been that long ago. And it wasn't that big a deal. It just seemed like another uh, law enforcement tool that we were going to put in place back in the 80s when we had the war on drugs and the war on crime, basically. And so we did it, and that was it. And we didn't think any more about it. Um, It went into place. Uh, I went on to the New Mexico Attorney General's office from there. I was elected attorney general. And while I was at the AG's office, I don't remember it ever coming up. I'm quite confident we never used it. It was never an issue. And so then as we roll through the 90s, we were doing our other things, practicing law and such. And you'd you'd hear occasional horror stories about this, about people getting their property taken without due process and not being able to get it back and innocent owners and uh, who couldn't assert their rights and things like that. So – If you fast forward to, say, last year, uh, 2015, um, both Brad, the guy, Brad Cates, the guy who frankly deserves most of the credit for this and was the director of uh, the asset forfeiture program at D.C., here in D.C. for justice, uh, we found ourselves back in Santa Fe. And he was the uh, uh, chief counsel for the House Judiciary Committee and the Republicans had just taken over the House for the first time in 60 years. So we had that in and um, he worked for the chairman of the Judiciary Committee and so he put together the bill along with uh, the help of some groups including the Institute for Justice, who I have to give a lot of credit for too, for helping us on this. And then he talked to me about helping on it and of course I was all, all in because I felt, you know, we felt very bad about where this program had gone. This was not something that we had intended for our state or for the country back when we implemented it. Um, and uh, so he talked the chairman of the uh, Judiciary Committee into carrying it. So he carried it. And we went to the first committee, and this is really the key to how things worked. Uh, uh, I got up and, uh, as a former Republican attorney general and uh, told him that we had done the wrong thing, that we were sorry for it, I wanted to have solution for it. Would they please fix this for us? And um, the Rio Grande Foundation in New Mexico, Paul Gessing, which is our great free market uh, think tank in New Mexico, got up and did. he testified for it. And then next, the ACLU people got up and testified for it. And then the Drug Policy, the Drug Policy Alliance got up and testified for it. And, uh, and then the kicker was uh, we had not lobbied the committee on this at all. And then the Speaker of the House who sat on the committee made the motion to pass the bill. And so when, when the Speaker made the motion to pass the bill, I thought we were in pretty good shape. I, prior to that time, we didn't know where this would go. We figured law enforcement would be swarming all over the place, would come out and oppose us and, uh, and that people wouldn't understand it. And frankly, that was part of the keys to this, that the legislators really didn't have a lot of experience with it. They didn't really know much about the problem. They hadn't heard much about it or hadn't paid much attention, and so we were the ones that brought it to their attention.
0: You know, I spoke with Paul Guessing uh, last year about how New Mexico made this move to eliminate civil asset forfeiture entirely, and it seemed like a fairly unique uh, confluence of events (laughs) and people and just a willingness to say this Not overuse of it is an abuse, but this as a policy is an abuse.
1: Right. Our theme was civil asset forfeiture is wrong, that you should only have assets forfeited. Uh, Contraband, of course, is always forfeited, right? The drugs, the drug money, the stuff like that, that that are the illegal products are always forfeited, but the conveyances should only be forfeited after a crime has occurred and after somebody has been convicted of a crime. And as um, you know, as Cato knows, that's not normally the way it works. Normally they do it without the uh, conviction and sometimes without even the charging of a crime. So that was our theme uh, is that we're protecting innocent people here, not criminals.
0: So for states that are – toying with this notion of getting rid of civil asset forfeiture or reining it in or setting higher bars of evidence in those kinds of cases. What is some of the the what are some policies that ought to change immediately? I know New Mexico uh, I believe also prohibited the use of equitable sharing.
1: That's correct <laughs> so, which is an impo- which is
0: an important thing. so yeah. uh, for the benefit of listeners who may already know some of this, what is equitable sharing and why was it important to also get rid of equitable sharing? Well
1: let's on equitable sharing, let's start by, by um, pointing out that in asset forfeiture normally, the proceeds go back to the law enforcement agency to spend within their department without any oversight of any legislative body. It just goes back into the coffers and they spend it. And in New Mexico, uh, we don't know how they spend it. We don't have any transparency. They aren't responding to FOIA requests. So we don't know. It's totally uh, unaudited. So the equitable sharing program was a program put in place by the feds back in uh, 1984 that says, okay, local government, if you're having some problems with this uh, and we can identify a federal crime Kick the, kick the property over to us, we will forfeit it, we'll liquidate it, and we'll give you 80% of the proceeds and we'll keep 20 for our administrative costs. And so that recently happened in a New Mexico case, which um, where a couple of, a man and his son were coming into the state with some uh, a large amount of money. They were going to Las Vegas to celebrate the son's 21st birthday. They got pulled over in Raton, New Mexico. They took apart their car. They took $17,000 from them and they let them go. And they realized, I think, that they didn't really have a good case uh, under state law, so they notified Homeland Security in Albuquerque. And so when those people got to Albuquerque, they got stopped by the Albuquerque police. The, The proceeds were turned over to Homeland Security and they took the man and his son and dropped them off at the airport. And so the... The method there was to get that money into the hands of Homeland Security so they could process it and kick back 80 percent to Albuquerque and keep 20 percent. That's the kind of things that were going on. And
0: I I assume part of the incentive there is if you have a weak case, uh, inviting the feds not only guarantees you or increases the odds of keeping that 80 percent, but also these people now are dealing with the feds to try to get their money back and not state level – uh, prosecutors and police.
1: That's right, and it's it just exacerbates the pro the problem and and most of these people, I don't know a lot of these people. They they don't run in my circles. Most of these people are um, are poorer people. They're the dis- more disadvantaged. There's a lot of minorities that this happens to, Pe- and people who
0: are l- least likely to hire a lawyer and fight.
1: That's exactly going to be the point. Least likely to be able to hire a lawyer and fight. And then by the time you get through fighting, you spent more on the lawyer than you have on the proceeds. Now, what, this is what I don't get about this. <laughs> and for 40 years now, as I in my public service work, I've been a supporter of the police, a supporter of law enforcement, tough on crime, supported all of that stuff. And I, you expect the public servants in that space to be for justice. But I find almost no law enforcement officials or prosecutors who will come out and say, yes, we think this needs to be eliminated for the benefit of justice. We don't need this civil forfeiture. It's not right. It hurts private um, citizens who are not criminals. And I'll be darned if we can find many law enforcement officials that will come out and take that position. And, and that's going to be the biggest obstacle to others in other states who want to get this situation fixed.
0: Now, I, I've asked this question of pretty much everybody who's talked about this issue with me. The police say... It seems like their only response really is, "Oh, but we do good things with the money." It's not about it's not about whatever the the theft is of of this property. It is always about uh, the the ends achieved by taking the money. Well, they don't defend the means.
1: I, I've got a I got a smart uh response to that, and then a, a real response. My smart aleck response is, "If it's just about the money, go rob a bank. Uh, you, there's more money in the bank." And if you want to take money away from uh, innocent private people, that's where the money is, not just from the the poor individuals on the street. My real response is, I don't care what you're doing with the money. You're taking it from an innocent victim. You're you're making victims out of people you're supposed to be protecting. Uh, The IRS Is the uh, institution we use to take money from innocent people. You're supposed to get your money through the appropriations process or maybe if we get the right president it won't be the IRS, maybe it'll be somebody else, but you're supposed to get it through the appropriations process the right way and darn it, the legislature should be funding the police in that manner. The thing I hear the most even before that is, oh this is a big part of our budget, we can't stand to lose it. Well, All right, um, but so you're going to go shake down innocent uh, citizens of your state and uh, of other states trying to get through your state to do that. It's not the right way to do it. It's not justice. It's not the American way. Totally out of whack.
0: One reform that I hear thrown around, which I I question, is the idea that instead of police agencies being able to keep the money they seize or police agencies being able to keep money that the feds kick back to them, uh, that in order to reduce the incentive of this so-called policing for profit, uh, that money would immediately go into the state general fund, which may be good in terms of the incentives faced by police, but it might actually be negative in terms of the incentives faced by legislators who, who might uh, otherwise reform the system or abolish it altogether.
1: If we are going to have any kind of asset forfeiture, that's how it has to work. Um, you know, my view is we don't we we eliminated civil asset forfeiture in New Mexico. We don't have it anymore, so there shouldn't be any money going anywhere on the civil side. Um, but if you're going to do it, then it should go back to the general fund. And uh, this is what happened in New Mexico. As soon as the law, law took place, the law enforcement agencies took some forfeited assets, took it to the state treasurer's office, said, we're not dealing with this anymore, and dumped it on the steps of the state treasurer's office and said, here, you deal with it. So um, that's the kind of things that you can expect to happen. And obviously that was a, a publicity stunt. Um, and it, But that needs to be tweaked and that needs to be dealt with. But look, if it were up to me, we wouldn't have any kind of asset forfeiture, frankly. And I'm not talking about contraband again. Nobody's talking about – Not talking about criminal asset Criminal forfeiture. asset forfeiture. You're talking about um, – well, and even when you're – yeah, you know, even some criminal asset forfeiture bothers me because um, there are always – when you have criminals involved, there's always some innocent victims somewhere, whether they're family, whether they're friends that aren't involved, whether they're friends who, whose assets have been borrowed to commit the crime, those kind of things without the person knowing it. So uh, I'm just skeptical about the whole thing after this experience but if I have to settle I'll settle for just
0: criminal asset forfeiture and no civil asset forfeiture Some states actually compound the problem of civil asset forfeiture by uh, essentially bullying people who are trying to get their property back and telling them if you seek uh, if you try to go to court over this and you lose we're gonna we're gonna hit you with attorney's fees
1: right I mean it's a it's they' are really, the government's in an unfair position. <clears throat> Excuse me, the government's always in an unfair position when you're fighting with them. And um, that certainly does happen. And you know you've heard the stories of towns, a town in Texas who just uses that to completely fund their whole city budget. They'll just go out and uh, take people's money. They'll never charge them. Uh, It won't be a situation where the people can come back and economically go after their money and they just fund the government through that. And that's corruption, if you ask me. I mean you could call it a little bit of legalized corruption, but to me that's corrupt
0: government. It was a little galling when I watched uh, Loretta Lynch during her confirmation hearing to be U.S. Attorney General. She was asked very pointedly by some senators about – civil asset forfeiture she seemed not to draw any meaningful distinction between civil asset forfeiture and criminal asset forfeiture she said it was a great tool a wonderful tool and uh, now that the federal government has said we're not going to engage in uh, equitable sharing that is returning funds mm-hmm. to uh, state and local police agencies they said well we're going to try to pick this back up when we can so the th- there's clearly an understanding that there is a PR problem associated with civil asset forfeiture, but there is not yet an understanding that it is uh, immoral and that they should be ashamed of themselves.
1: There is not. I mean, we've we've gotten uh, law enforcement habituated to this, and uh, like all of us, when you come used to something and habituated to something, you tend to cling to it. You know, uh, hold or put the put the stop on it for a while there, but that was just administrative. That was not a structural change. And so there's federal legislation of which I'm not the expert, but uh, uh, pending that really needs to get done because this, you know, the, word, the IRS is just as bad on this as as anybody is when it comes to their structuring uh, forfeitures and things like that. And, and all that really needs to be taken care of because when you put that in the hands of government people and bureaucrats, and I'll just use the word, I've run a federal agency. So I I hope they'll forgive me for using that term. But you put that in the hands of bureaucrats, they've got no accountability. They're self-righteous about it. And they think their job is is basically righteous and that they should be able to do that kind of stuff. And just the less we give to government to do in that realm, the better off we're going to be.
0: Are there states that you're aware of that are angling to try to get rid of this Uh, abuse?
1: There have been a number of states. I'm not the expert on that, um, but there have been a number of states. California, it looked like it was on the road in California to to get done, and then law enforcement got to the second chamber out there and got it done. I think Ohio has done some things. So there are a number of states out there. There's a lot of good legislators that would like to to get this done under the circumstances, and they're just going to have to take each state's unique situation and try to figure out what the key is there we were we were very lucky in New Mexico we don't we're usually not number one in getting this kind of stuff done but we were just very lucky that the planets aligned for us and the right people at the right time and you just have to look in each state and try to Try to draw that up.
0: Do you have a sense of, of if the Feds are going to move? Uh, that is to say, Congress going to move on at least eliminating equitable sharing entirely?
1: I, you know, I don't. I know it's there. I know it's being pushed. I occasionally hear good things. This senator signed on, and et cetera. But you know how things are in Washington. They uh, move at a glacial pace, if at all, and particularly during an election year. It seems like uh, the glacier even slows down.
0: Al Stratton served as Attorney General of New Mexico. You can read more of Cato's work on civil asset forfeiture at our website, cato.org.